Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It's Sunday, May 8th, and we're very excited to have a special guest with us. Um, we're obviously going to talk about Roe um, or post-Roe this week because that's all we can kind of think about. Um, and we have a very special person here. Kate Redburn is a friend. Kate is a legal historian of 20th and 21st century United States, focusing on queer and trans civil rights and the Christian conservative legal movement, which is obviously very germane to this week. Kate is completing a JD PhD at Yale, and they'll be an academic fellow at Columbia Law School starting this summer. Congrats, Kate. Um, you guys may have also read Kate's stuff on the Law and Political Economy blog. Um, they were instrumental in starting that, which has been a really great sort of counterweight to the law and economics movement, which tends to be pretty conservative. So do check out the LPE blog. Welcome, Kate. Thanks so much. I'm so thrilled to be here on my favorite podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's very sweet of you. Um, So as everybody knows, obviously this past week, Politico got a leak of an Alito draft opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is the case that could potentially overturn Roe and a subsequent case called Casey. Um, And so unless you've been out of the country or not paying any attention at all, um, you probably know that the Supreme Court has drafted an opinion that would, in fact, overturn these cases and basically eliminate the right to abortion as we have known it in our lifetimes. Um, I also saw, I don't know if you guys saw this, that McConnell um, in an interview basically vowed to to go ahead and eliminate um, the right to abortion legislatively if the GOP gets its way in the midterms, which is looking more and more likely. So it's a very, very scary time. Um, so where to begin? Oh my goodness. Um, Kate, do you want to first begin by kind of laying out like the very nuts and bolts of Roe as law? So what is Roe based on constitutionally? Like how have we kind of understood what abortion rights mean? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think the basis for the decision is of interest generally beyond like the, you know, legal world in part because yeah. the it's you know the basis um in the constitution is part of what's being uh, at least potentially attacked if this draft opinion becomes uh the law of the land yeah so what did roe say so it's 1973 important to remember that in 1973 there's not really a strong constitutional basis for like women's rights that doesn't develop until later the first time the equal protection clause is used to you know, defend women's rights is 71. And that case isn't even cited in Roe. So um, just to sort of preempt the question of like, why is this kind of a tenuous constitutional hook for abortion rights? It's because like legal feminism hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what does Roe say? It uh, it uses a part of the 14th Amendment, which is the due process clause, which holds that the state can't deprive a person of life, liberty, or property um, without due process of law. And that clause has been bifurcated into two sets of doctrines, one of which is called the uh, substantive due process doctrines, and the other is the procedural due process doctrines. Okay, so procedural is like the rules of the road. This is what the, the state has to uh, you know, abide by um, if they're going to deprive you of those fundamental rights. And then what we're talking about with Roe and with a lot of the rights revolution in the last 50 years is substantive due process. And that's the idea that embedded in that uh, part of the Constitution are um, fundamental liberties that individuals have that the Constitution protects against state intervention. And so in Roe, the court basically said, we're going to look at some of our precedents that protect 
the rights of parents to have some, retain some control over the education of their children. And also those were cases from um, you know earlier 20th century. Also at that point, a much more recent precedent from 65, which is the right to contraception and say that substantive due process clause includes um, a right to privacy. There's a right to privacy emanating from, they, they actually give us several different options for where you could find it in the constitution, but one of them is the due process clause. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and in, in, in incorporated into the right to privacy it is the right to abortion. And so that's kind of the basic logic of the Roe decision. Okay. And um, how was that received at the time? Like, was the right to privacy something that lawyers were talking about? Or what, did this sort of come out of nowhere, like they were really trying to scrape for a rationale? No, it, it didn't come out of nowhere at all. I mean, you know, going back to the progressive era, you know, Brandeis had written about the right to privacy and... Um, and what's interesting, I think, about the contemporary criticism of the right to privacy basis in the in the Roe decision is that, like I said, um, Justice Blackman gives several different explanations for where you could find it. So there's rights, there's all kinds of different rights to privacy. There's, of course, intimate association. That's what we think of with the gay rights cases and and um, contraception and abortion. But there's also, you know, r- rights to different kind, you know, privacy of communications or other other kinds of. Um, whatever, privacy rights um, that had been uh, constitutionalized over the course of the 20th century. So it's not coming out of nowhere. Um, But, I mean, if you're getting at kind of the backlash to the decision, I think it's less to do with the fact that it's, that the, that it rests in a right to privacy and more to do with the story that we've told ourselves about Roe, which is that the decision itself is what engendered a massive backlash from Mm anti-abortion forces. And I don't know, not to get too ahead of myself, but that, that historical story has basically turned out to be wrong, which is mm-hmm. interesting if you want to think about the relationship between progressive social change and the courts. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like Jay and Andy are also here, obviously, and we'll <laughs> ask questions in a second. Um, I just want to <laughs> pause on that because I because we're so lucky to have you because you're also obviously a legal historian of the movements that have basically kind of brought us to this point. But just to do one more thing on the law itself. So the leaked decision in the political article, um, what was your reaction to that? And kind of like, what would it do legally to to uproot this this basis? Yeah. So. We knew that they were going to probably overturn Roe. The, mm-hmm. the outcome of the case is not that surprising, but it's still very upsetting. Um, I think yeah. the, the thing that was uh, perhaps more surprising is just that it's basically the worst case scenario in terms of its reasoning. So if this mm-hmm. were the, the law, um, and, and the reason is because not only does it say there's no right to abortion, it undermines the basis for the entire right to privacy, and in fact undermines the entire idea of substantive due process in the first place. So it's moving us back at least three steps in terms of constitutional interpretation, um, which is why a lot of the commentary has rightly been saying, you know, abortion is not the only thing on the chopping block here. Whether, you know, whether that's a good message as a matter of strategy is beyond, you know, that's of my pay grade. But it's certainly true <laughs> that mm-hmm. not only, you know, so anything that's rested in the, in the right to privacy, um, I think most, you know, the, the first thing I thought, if you're asking for, you know, my reaction was, well, contraception is... Yeah. seriously, seriously uh, da- in danger, in part because a lot of modes of contraception have already been redefined as abortifacients, whether or not that's like scientifically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't even have to like go back to court. They might be able to use um, th- a decision like this to, to undermine contraception outright. And then, as I said, huge number of individual freedoms that are protected by the due process clause, including, you know, all of gay rights, so the sodomy cases and 
um, and gay marriage. But also it's sort of interesting to note that there's a lot of uncontroversial fundamental freedoms that have been found in the Constitution um, that are considered due process rights uh, that could, you know, just just to understand that it's not only controversial issues that come through this mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so the right to travel, like I said, some of the uh, parental rights over, over, over education, um, all of that stuff could go out the window because the new rule, if Justice Alito had his way, is that it has to either be enumerated in the Constitution, which t- is totally ridiculous um, yeah. On, the, yeah. on its face. Because, you know, there's the Ninth Amendment literally says, don't worry if we didn't write it down here in like the 12 words that we put in this document, um, there's, you know, <laughs> there's still the rights are retained by the people. That's a whole amendment that says yeah. you know, your, your interpretation is wrong. And then, and then the other basis would be if it's rooted in the nation's history and tradition. Um, and, you know, the nation's history and tradition is not exactly a font of rights. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I have this question that's very broad and made perhaps stupid, you know, but um, (laughs) it's one that I can't quite get out of my head as I think about this, which is that, you know, if you think about the court as a political actor, which I think we should, you know, I think only sort of ninth graders in civics class think that the court is like amazing, you know, and that it's like somehow, or maybe their teachers do too, but I sometimes think their teachers are probably like, I don't know, you know, (laughs) I got to go through this, you know, but, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about it because, you know, like, I, I agree that, um, cases like loving or, or, uh, anti-sodomy laws are all gay marriage. They're all, now up for grabs, right? But um, for the most part, there are not huge political movements behind, for example, you know, getting rid of interracial marriage, right? Like, like I don't think that, that there are people who actually think that that shouldn't exist. Now, there is clearly... I, I, the thing that I can't quite figure out then is just that, like, why do you think the court did this, right? Um, because I think that there is ways in which they could have narrow, narrowly tailored this in that, you know, it, it still would have created a huge backlash, right? But um, perhaps, like, it wouldn't have been too much different from some of the status quo, right? Like, because there are obviously states in which things are extremely difficult. But by doing this, you know, it, it really is sort of like a huge, like, you know, I, I, it's almost like a declaration of war in a type of way, right? And so why, why do you think the court did this? Like, why do it in such a sort of enormous fashion? Yeah. Well, okay, not to start by being overly technical, but I actually don't think loving is on the chopping block because the that decision really rests on the Equal Protection Clause. It mentions okay. due process, but but just to I get be, all like, my information from tweets. So <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Jay went to the law school of tweets. <laughs> yeah, I went to Twitter law. I went to Twitter law. It's not actual law school. It's just an he apprenticeship. He went to Twitter college. You know, I'm like going through. I'm going through. I'm, this is year oh, ten God. of my Twitter uh, Twitter legal apprenticeship. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I say the that baby bar of Twitter next week. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I mean, also, I say that with like the somewhat quaint understanding that the reasoning behind decisions still matters. So, like, right. you know, I could be wrong. Um, but why did they do this? I mean, it's the culmination of a 50-year social movement. It's you know, I I, I do think I was surprised. At, it sounds like you were too by um, by the starkness of the language. Like we assumed that they were going to overturn Roe, but 
but actually having a sentence in constitutional law that says not only are we doing this, you know, we, we overturn, we hereby overturn Roe and Casey, and we don't mention women, and we don't care about equal protection. Like it's um yeah, it, it's 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 extremely aggressive, um, and the the tactic of chipping away at it both through you know federal and state legislation has been so successful that like your questions it's not a bad question but i but i also think you know this is this is an opportunity for these for these judges to deliver a win for their side that like they they've been going for for right. a very very long time and 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 this is not news to you but of course the right has politicized the court um, or put the court, put the membership of the court at the center of its political organizing for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a bit of legal trivia that's sort of interesting is the Casey decision, the sort of intermediate decision, which the pro uh, the pro choice movement saw as like you know staving off the inevitable overturning, but the anti-abortion movement saw as a massive loss. You know, at the time, Casey Casey came out at a time when the, the court was similarly composed um, politically as it, is, as it is now. There were six Republican appointees, um, and nevertheless, they retained the right to the right to abortion. So, so for the for the anti-abortion movement, that's a suggestion. Like, we have to get not just conservative judges on the on the court. Right. We have to get judges who are explicitly anti-abortion. Right. And so, right. and so, they're doing exactly. I mean, President Trump told us he was going to put. Judges on the court who were anti-abortion, he did that, and they did yeah. it. So, I mean, yeah. in a certain way, it's over The outcome seems a little overdetermined. It doesn't make it any less despicable. But right, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the history of that's super interesting to me. I, I hope that we can talk about it, right? Um, because I did a little bit of research this week about it because I wrote a column and I looked into the history of the NRLC, um, mm-hmm. and you know sort of the start with, and then I read a lot of stuff about Amy Corney Barrett too, and sort of how she became, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's unusual. She's so young, you know, and it's not so like, it wasn't like she always was this huge federal federalist society star or anything like that. She wasn't at Yale law school or, or Ivy league school and yet just rocketed to the top of the list. Right. And um, it was interesting to see how, that had happened. And so, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the beginning of, I mean, not, you know, this is, again, sorry, it's difficult, like, difficultly broad question, but like, where's the beginning of this? When, when does the, when does it start where it's just like, okay, we got to do everything in our power, which, you know, in some ways is this amazing feat of organizing because you're like, how do you do that? I mean, if you ask me, how do you get somebody who who like agrees with my political opinions on the Supreme Court? I feel like, I don't know, man. <laughs> you know? Like, I have no clue. <laughs> Especially if you're starting at a point where there it's very unpopular, right? Like, and that even people on my side don't agree with me, you know, and I have an extreme view. I mean, how how does this start? Yeah. Well, so so okay. So there's a bunch of questions in there, but um, right. it starts with the the. Uh, I think I said earlier that the history, the, the standard story is wrong, that it starts with Roe. It doesn't start with Roe, um, but there is still, a, the story is still one of a backlash. And the backlash is actually to the advance in legisl- state legislatures of abortion liberalization laws. So mm-hmm. in the late 60s, you start to have a bunch of different interests. It's also not a coherent pro-choice movement at that point, um, moving to liberalize state abortion laws. And the backlash comes there. It's pretty genuinely grassroots organizing, mostly from Catholics, um, to try to stop those laws from advancing. And 
um, the, the National Republican Party sees that happening and realizes that this is a potential opportunity to peel off a core part of the Democratic coalition um, by resorting the parties. So, you know, obviously the parties in, in the late 60s look really different than they do now. There's the social conservatives and the economic conservatives are not all sorted into one party with the liberals on economic and social issues in the other. So there, that's a combination of genuine grassroots organizing and, um, and national strategists figuring out that if they, you know, and, and so that's why Nixon makes an issue of abortion for the first time in his mm-hmm. campaign. And then ultimately the vindication of that strategy is Reagan's election. Um, and, and then the question of, okay, so what, where's the court fit into all of that? I mean, so obviously Roe gives, the, gives, you know, some tailwind to this, um, argument that there's a that the courts are against this this agenda that's de- that's developing, but also if you if you develop a uh, um, a strategy of targeting the court, then you can bring together a lot of different issues, um, and it, and it forms sort of an umbrella. So you can say we're against judicial activism and we're for judicial restraint, um, and that can bring together you know desegregation opposition, abortion opposition, basically anything that you're against if the court is moving in the wrong direction, then that's a successful strategy for mobilizing people both to vote for Republicans, but also to participate in the, in the movement. Right. Um, yeah, that, that starts to answer your question, I think. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great. I mean, um, it was interesting reading about how it's like, uh, they even had like a break with the Catholic church at some point, I think. And it was like this idea of like, we have to build it beyond the church itself and we can't be held back by the church and that and then you start to see like this really aggressive type of mobilization um that is trying to bring in uh evangelicals you know um right. and then yeah. it doesn't really work at first and then it starts to really work you know and then it's just like okay <laughs> I, mean, I don't know I, 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 it's uh um yeah, can we, I, I don't know, Tammy. Do you have a, like I? I don't. I don't want to like monopolize the question. No, Andy, do you? Did you want to get into? Um, yeah, I mean, I have some broader, kind of nerdy historical questions to perhaps get into. <laughs> we can say that like for later, but just to kind of clarify what you're saying, Kate, like you're studying or you, you're you're kind of giving this argument that there's this huge backlash, and Roe is just one kind of milestone within it, but it's it doesn't explain the backlash, the origins, the cause, right? Like, we're, we're, I guess the question is, and I think this gets at what Jay was kind of kind of asking, and I think a lot of us are just kind of confused about all of this, right? Because it does seem to be just riven with contradictions, you know? Like, what... Like, what? What? what is the, what is the basis of the backlash? Because I, I think there's a lot of ways to read it. Like, your, your story that you've given, it's a political strategy that could be read as almost like this inauthentic cynical ploy like they were they were just doing it to win votes and it almost feels like i was kind of thinking like you know you see all these numbers about how even republicans support the right to choice and it's almost like they were talking about this for several decades and now that they can actually do it it's like a game of chicken where they're like okay i guess we got to do this because we said we're going to do this for 40 years right but then there is obviously a constituency that is authentic and sincere and believes in this stuff and that's the confusing part right because it's so out of touch with a lot of the rest of the U.S., but it's also out of touch with like the rest of like you know the developing the developed world around the world, right? And and so your generic explanations of like, well, this is about patriarchy, this is about um, uh, 
Christianity. Like that doesn't that doesn't actually map onto every single part of the world, right? So there is something weird going on that, you know, I think that's that's what I'm confused about. I guess. So I, I guess in your own words, like what, historically, like what gave rise to this movement? Because the other weird thing is like it's a reaction. It's not like. And for historians who looked into this, right, like anti-abortion was not a thing that was people felt strongly about until the late 19th century or middle, middle to late 19th century. So it's not like holding on to like a 14th century tradition, right? It's it's like a modern invention. It's also so I don't know. In your in your own in your own like kind of research, what do you think is like the real basis for all of this? Well, okay. To be fair, I mean, I really studied the response after '64 to the Civil Rights Act. Sure, too, yeah, so, yeah. so this, yeah. I'm still drawing on my secondary source century. reading too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and 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 I, you know, and don't focus on the abortion movement. But it's certainly like the background condition for the work that I do, that my original work. Just to be clear about like my expertise. But um, no, I mean, there's a, there is a consistent and I think uniquely American kind of social conservatism that derives from mostly Protestant, but also like later, you know, after waves of immigration, uh, Catholic social conservatism. And I mean, there's the original story that we used to tell about the history of uh, Christian social conservatism in the United States was basically it died at the Scopes trial. Um, but there's there's a which is which is the you know famous trial in like 1920, right? In 1925, I think about. Um, uh, teaching uh, evolution in in schools, and you know the the um, anti-evolution side loses famously, and 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 the idea is like, well, they sort of don't reemerge until you know 1980 or something. Um, but that's not true. Uh, there's been a persistent. There's a and, and as you say, it's a minority group. But kind of the background condition for how is it possible that this quite uh, unpopular position, which is a you know opposition to abortion, ends up being the law of the land? It seems like now it has to do with the, the infrastructure of democracy, which is the other like set of issues that the Republican Party has particularly targeted. So, um, so yes, there's a there's a persistent minority for whom it, I, don't, I absolutely don't want to leave the impression that it's only a cynical ploy by strategists. There's a very deeply felt belief, and you know one of the like, gosh, I sound like like a law professor, like you know peons to American pluralism. But it's it's important. We live in a huge place with a lot of different people who disagree. But of course, the the structure of the thing is supposed to be such that um, you you can't have your idiosyncratic views totally dominate mm-hmm. the rest of the polity. And <laughs> what has what, what has happened? Instead, you know, I mean, unless they're my idiosyncratic views. <laughs> <laughs> like the, uh, I, you know, but, but let's talk about Amy Coney Barrett a little bit because I think that Amy Coney Barrett is sort of. I don't know. I think that that's the story in a lot of ways, right? Like, uh, you have somebody who is really put on the court for a very explicit reason. Yeah. One that Amy Coney Barrett does not try and hide in any sort of way. You know, it's almost admirable where it's just like, nope, I'm coming. That's why, you know, <laughs> like, like what, what other, you know, like, I mean, it's not like whatever you talk about, like qualifications, or I don't care, you know, like I'm sure that, Amy Coney Barrett is very qualified to be um, in whatever qualification means. I'm sure she fulfills it. But, like, you know, it's amazing where you're just, like, it's almost like having somebody come in and be like, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only over here because I'm going to, like, you know, I'm going to turn up the heat on your thermostat and then we steal your silverware. But, you know, I'm just here. You know, it's cool. <laughs> you know? And, and then you can't be surprised when that happens, you know. And so... Um, now I am, can you, I read, like, I know that, like, I read this piece by Margaret Talbot in the New Yorker about how, like, Amy Coney Barrett became the, you know, got to where she was, but I don't know, it wasn't particularly, like, you know, it's a magazine article, it's, it wasn't, didn't go so deep into the, you know, so can you, can you talk about that a little bit, just like, 
How does how do they get the Republican establishment in the Trump administration basically to say this is the person and we don't even have to hide it anymore? This is, you know, like you don't you don't get to choose your people anymore, which is always going to be somebody more like Brett Kavanaugh or something like that. Right. Somebody who's much more mainstream. You are going to you're going to select this activist judge, you know, Um, and and like it's not even going to be a question. Right. Like it was like the Amy Coney Barrett thing. Like there was no plan B. It was just Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, maybe there was, but they said, but it was clearly going to be her the whole time. So, yeah. How, yeah. how does she get in that position? Well, I would back. I, I would do the classic historian's move of backing up the timeline a little to arrive <laughs> right, right, at, the, right. at the Barrett moment. So, so <laughs> do you remember Harriet Myers? Is that name? Oh, my bell? God. Yes. So remember Harriet Myers? She was the, I think she was the like family attorney basically for the Bushes. For Bush, the second Bush. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like 06, yeah. Oh, oh, Completely right? forgot about her until you just, yeah. but now her face is, oh, oh five oh six, right? Yeah, yeah. Horrifying. Right. Yeah. So, so, um, so, so Bush Jr. initially uh, nominated her for the open seat. Um, and who objected? <laughs> both the FedSoc people and the anti-abortion movement. They were like, we don't know who she is. She's not one of ours. She's not been on our list. Hmm. We don't We don't like her. And so she got killed from the, the further right wing of the party. And who ended up taking that spot? So Justice Alito. Alito. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, right. Kate, do you want to so, just say briefly who, who, what FedSoc is for people who don't know what that is? Yeah. Well, so the, yeah. And I think that's a big part of the explanation yeah. of the answer to Jay's question. So the Federal Society is a... Is a it started off as basically a debate society within super elite law schools. It started at Yale. Um, and the idea was to be able to you know, have a forum for bringing in conservative ideas on the, on the uh, you know, somewhat dubious proposition that they're not welcome in law schools. Um, but it was, certainly was true that there were a small, relatively small number of people who identified strongly as conservatives. And what it has become is a jobs program um, for conservative <laughs> lawyers, a very successful one. It's so like they the do still have like debates. action program of all time. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. I mean, it's... If, you have no, if you have no politics and you want to go and become successful as a lawyer in like an appellate court or something, it's like you should just be, join the federal society. <laughs> well, it's just, an, I mean, truly a numbers game because if there's a there are a relatively small number of people in the law school and there's a lot more conservative federal judges so if yeah right. if you want a federal clerkship it's a great um way yeah. to go um and i think you know basically there's a there's a vacuum of experience in the trump administration and so people who have been you know, putting together lists of personnel, which is the Fed, which is what the federal societies one of the things they're very good at. Um, they get outsized power in the Trump administration. So you have the the sort of um, earlier case of of uh, the Myers nomination going down. But I think you could you can interpret the Amy Coney Barrett in a really similar way. I mean, I had never mm-hmm. heard of her. It's not like as you say, she was not a prominent yeah. conservative. Um, but but absolutely absolutely you know a recognized scholar in a fancy school um, who had right. who had been really active in the network in the regional network and so you know how does she get on the list I think partially because she wasn't already a national figure it would make would make it easier to you know to to shape what her image is going to be when she goes national um, but also they had the movement had really learned its lesson you have to have somebody who really deeply believes this. This mm-hmm. stuff, and you know, absolutely to her credit, she does. I mean, what's amazing about um, about her uh, operation on the bench? I mean, I don't know if, if anybody uh, followed. You probably weren't listening to the arguments, but there's a a case about um, the ability of a, a, a football coach to lead prayer. Yeah, the Kennedy case. Yeah, it's Kennedy, right? Yeah. Um, and during oral argument, she referred to um, the the Almighty. 
um, you know, is it is Barrett, it speech? Barrett did. Wow. Barrett did. And so she referred basically insane. to to God in a very, uh, you know, to my Jewish ears, very uh, <laughs> very Christian way. Um, and she also and she and she also made reference. Uh, of course, I'm blanking on the name of it because it's not in my world. But she made she made numerous explicit references to basically a high school level church group, um, trying to ask questions about whether or not you know if a hypothetical the. Um, and 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 all of that, you know, these are important social organizations for lots of people. This is not to yeah. denigrate them or or to call into question the authentic, authenticity of sure. their beliefs. It's just to say that um, she comes from, as let's say, an idiosyncratic milieu, um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the the most neutral way I can put it. But it's like the the rapidity with which all of these cases that she cares about are now gonna fuck up precedent is just so frightening because we have the church, the school prayer thing. We have the abortion case. We're going to have the case on the Indian Child Welfare Act coming up, and she's a very fervent adoptive parent. Like all the, it right. just yeah, seems like a crash of all of these things. That don't forget the public accommodations case. Yeah. The public accommodations case. Yeah, all mm-hmm. the and it just it it just it feels very very fast. Like the court is moving at a speed that is not normal or something. You know, to to our to my mind. Yeah, I remember like years ago, many years ago, I was having this conversation with my friend in Alabama, and um, this person is Democrat, but very centrist. Well, I don't know, he's like probably like far left communist for Alabama, you know, but um, he, he's like just a, he's like a normal white guy, you know, it's not somebody. And so, and he, I, I remember he has nothing to do with politics or media or anything like that, but I remember I was talking to him and he was saying like, I think the thing that you people in New York, you know, you people in New York don't understand is that, like, when people down here, like, the thing that matters to them the most is the courts, you know? It's not all this culture war stuff. And and I was like, what? You know? And, it, and then it took a while for me to really comprehend. But I don't know. I think it's, like, sort of come to fruition where it's just like, oh, they kind of understand fundamentally that this is the actual vehicle for the change that they want. Because the change that they want is so radical that it can't be passed legislatively. You know, it needs to be passed through yeah. the court system. I don't know. It seems or like can good, it? Good I mean, lesson. it has. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or or you gerrymander the legislative system right. such that it can right. pass through there. Right. I mean, this is part of the incredibly insulting, many insulting parts of, and upsetting parts of the draft opinion is that it basically says, you know what, it was a mistake for the courts to get involved in abortion in the first place. We should get our hands out of this. And that's why we're returning it to the people's you know, democratically elected representatives right, yeah. of whatever, which, you know, besides the fact that this is the court that like eviscerates the VRA and doesn't obviously care about voting rights in any way. Yeah. Um, it's also not true. I mean, I, ha- I think I had you guys maybe look at a, a pretty technical um, law review article that's coming out in Columbia, in yeah. part because what it talks right, about right. is just like the absolute legal nightmare that's going to come out of mm-hmm. having totally different standards in different states. Not that the, yeah. that the legal nightmare is not the primary problem here, but it's certainly true. Yeah, that was interesting. Maybe you want to say just a few words about that article, Kate. So for folks who haven't read forthcoming this forthcoming law review article, I don't know why you would have it. Um, it's a piece called The New Abortion Battleground, and it's by David Cohen, Green Donnelly, and Rachel Deboucher. And it's basically about the interaction between state and federal regulation after Roe and how we're going to have this really conflicting patchwork. So, Kate, yeah. if you want to say I mean, that, that's about basically that. what I would say about it. I mean, one of the, the big questions is how, how would you adjudicate between states um, that have totally different laws on this issue, which is going to happen in part because the you know the blue states are trying to 
figure out ways to support access to abortion for citizens of other states and then vice versa. So, you know, a, a, a increasing number of abortions are conducted by pill now. And so, mm-hmm. you know, can, can states send abortif, ab, uh, abortion medications across state lines? And then, and then if you end up, which it seems like we're likely to have criminalization of abortion, what yeah. happens to the citizens of one state who cross state lines to, uh, to, get healthcare that's considered a crime in the state where they live. And so all of that is just going to create huge problems that absolutely will end up in the Supreme Court, um, just undermining the idea that that the court's getting its hands out of it. But also it is going to make it very, very difficult for regular people to figure out what they can do and which like which laws they're even breaking in order to obtain necessary health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like that, you know, like all this stuff about, you know, Pills being mailed from Australia, for example, something I was reading about, right? Like, um, I think uh, Rachel Cohen wrote about it, right? Um, And not knowing the legality of that and, you know, everybody sort of being confused at all times with the threat looming over their head that in some places, like, if they make a mistake, they can be charged for murder, you know? Yeah. Like, I just... Like, it just seems so untenable to me in a lot of ways. And yet, like, a lot of things seem untenable, and then they turn into things that people get outraged about when they see it on their timeline, but, like, they feel like they can't do anything about it, you know? Like, um, that's, like, I don't know. That's sort of the, that's one of the things I'm struggling with here, which is just that I don't know. Like, there is sort of this pervasive hopelessness about it, right? And it's, like, it's interesting because that speaks to the power of the court where, People aren't like go like people that are saying like go vote and it's like I can't vote out Amy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like she's younger. I, she's like my age and way healthier than me. You know, if I was gonna <laughs> bet on who's gonna live longer, me or Amy Corney Barrett, I, I'd take Amy Corney Barrett every single day of the week. You know, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna live long enough to see to see like Amy Corney Barrett replaced on the court. So like. Um, I don't know. We can talk about that later in the end when we talk about like what to what to what to do about all of this. Well, but yeah, it's, I, mean, I was just like I don't quite get what we're supposed. Mm-hmm. to I mean, I was thinking about in I think a Jacobin piece, Kate. You you just began by saying like the court is an incredibly conservative institution, and you think about yeah, and the more I think about it as like a non you know person who thinks about these things, it almost feels like. You know, given how everything is organized around fidelity to an 18th century document, like the, it was like the first constitution, right? That, that that still is alive. It's like it's like you're always on like their like to the sports now, like on on like on the road. You're always like on their home court, and it's I don't know. Uh, yeah, so this gets into this question of like strategy that I think we're all thinking about. Like, I, part of me just wants to think like, well, this is just like a rigged game you know, no matter what, and we should, like, start over, you know, but obviously we can't, we should write Start over meaning what, like, the revolution? <laughs> yeah, or, like, um, or like amendments, which are, like, impossible, I guess. There's a man yeah. in you know, Berkeley I'd like to introduce you to, and Bob Bacon. Exactly, I yeah. believe that you and him agree on many things, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be amazing. If I, be I mean, just for, like, my, for my, just, like, doing research, and like Asian history, you look at like constitutions, like Japan has a new constitution, whatever, like US has like the oldest constitution that's still around. So it's actually the most conservative constitution probably in the world, you know, or, or you know, I mean, not the most, but so it's, yeah, it's just very bizarre when you think about when you put it into that perspective. Um, and yeah, so like, and it seems like legislation is like a dead end at this point. Like these are the contradictions, right, of 
of trying to deal with the Supreme, <clears throat> trying to like trying to make any sort of progressive changes within the framework of the Constitution that's you know incredibly conservative. Well, what, what is? I, I mean, let, let's uh, yeah, Kate. Let's talk about this thing where it's just you know, well, we can talk about this uh, before we get to like what to do. Let's just talk about what's at risk, right? Because I think I made a very dumb tweet of this earlier this week and I deleted it. But I was like, because I, I was saying like, what I meant really was that I felt like some of the stuff that had been out there about like how, you know, this was a threat to Brown v. Board of Education, for example, or loving or whatever, that I found it to be like somewhat disrespectful almost of the moment, right? Because I felt like it was a type of like, oh, actually, this is not about abortion rights and i'm like no it's about abortion rights you know like um like we don't have to always kick the ball down the road until it lands in like a place that affects a person personally you know like this is like a catastrophe and like to say that like like i don't know like i I don't anyway i found myself being very annoyed because it was just like people being like oh well brown versus board Board of education is now on the chopping block it's like who is going to overturn brown versus board of education like come on like you know like like jeff sessions wouldn't vote to overturn brown versus board of education like there's no and so then i was just like okay well maybe i'm being maybe i'm being an asshole here you know like um so i deleted it because i felt like and then some people i think rightfully misinterpreted and said that I was talking about that I was talking about not to talk about t- my Twitter account too long but what is actually what do you think is my question is like what's actually at stake here you know like what is yeah. the big like what are the things that are going to now really be looked at hard um, yeah. by by the court I mean I think you're right just in the first place that like stopping at the question of abortion does affect everyone I mean everybody yeah you know huge numbers of people have abortions everybody who's involved in reproduction it has a stake in the autonomy of people you know individual people to make that kind of intimate choice so it, yes it's a it is an absolute catastrophe to legislate away the ability to make that kind of decision for yourself mm-hmm. for your family whatever um, in terms of, you know, again, I feel like I, I, I have a sense of what is the lowest hanging legal fruit if this draft becomes the law. But again, I don't want to sound Pollyannish, or I, I don't want to sound, not Pollyannish, I don't want to sound naive um, about uh, what, what the next priority could be. I mean, um, Governor mm-hmm. Abbott of Texas already said he wants to go after a precedent that uh, requires oh, yeah. um, you know, public education of uh, of. Um, non-citizen children. So, you know, and, and that's totally unrelated doctrinally to this. I think that's just like, well, I have power, so I'm going right. to use it. So, but anyway, but but to actually answer your question, um, I, th- I think contraception is the first most obvious one. So the, the social conservative movement um, that we, that, uh, that, the, you know, for, for which abortion has been the primary objective, also has a set of you know other objectives. One of which is to make contraception illegal, if not very difficult to obtain. Um, also, to go after no fault divorce. I mean, it's about reinforcing like a patriarchal heterosexual nuclear mm-hmm. family. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which like, again sounds like alarmist, but that's just what those things yeah. are. Yeah. Um, and. And because the doctrinal basis for uh, contraception is also the right to privacy, um, it would be a very short step from this draft to um, to something uh, doing the same thing to the right to contraception. Besides, as I also mentioned, there's a, a bunch of state legislation that basically calls various kinds of. Uh, I, I think I think the line is. Um, 
forms of contraception that prevent implantation are are led, by legislate by legislation in a bunch of states considered abortifacients. So again, you wouldn't even need to go back to the court; you could just outlaw those and call them abortion. That's so crazy. Um, but then, but then there's the gay rights cases, and I mean, this is both the stuff that I know the most about and work on, and also. Um, I think part of the reason why the, the the sort of lasting hangover of the Warren and Burger courts has extended from the baby boomer generation into more our generation because when progressives think about the court, for some reason they still just think, oh, it gives us gay rights. That's so great. Um, but the court will can definitely go after uh, gay rights on this on the same basis. So there's a substantive due process. Is I mean the gay rights cases are a little bit of a doctrinal mess, um, but 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 uh, the right to marry is certainly considered a fundamental right under the due process clause. And so again, if they were to adopt the very very conservative line proposed in the draft, then that would be the next thing. And and there's a there's a motivated um, uh, grassroots movement that's still uh, you know they have decided that being opposed to gay marriage is a as a basic tenant of religious practice. Um, and it's, they've gone at it sideways through these attacks on um, public accommodations laws, trying to create religious exemptions to treating everybody the same, um, which, like, however you feel about liberal markets is kind of an important part of making them work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so I would say, I would say contraception, the short answer is I would, I would say contraception That's- and gay marriage really are on the, right. on the chopping block. Um, wow. but, but it is a strategy question. Like, do we want to talk about, it, it feels to me like a vestige of the way that the, progressive left is, is, is structured, which is mm-hmm. mostly through single issue nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And so it, and so, but I, you know, the, the like best reading I think of those tweets is like, not only is this bad for NARAL, it's also bad for, you know, my equality state organization or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's just like a sad truth about where we are in, in, in progressive organizing. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, yes, I, I don't, yeah, I, I agree that there is a, I, I think that there's a more generous way to read it. I just feel like there's like a, I don't know. It it feels sometimes like there's maybe this is just me covering protests so much, you know. And it's just like you meet activists, and it does feel like there is like a sense that everything should be twisted towards a, you know, some. I don't know. It's just strange. I I feel there is something about I think the way that abortion. <coughs> movement is tied up or not, you know, is sort of associated with white women that makes it difficult for a, for the modern sort of Twitter activist crowd to really get down with, you know? And um, I don't know. I think that's unfortunate. Well, all right. So what, what is it? Let, let, we can get to talking to strategy now, because I think that is a question that a lot of people are thinking about, especially in a moment that feels mildly hopeless. Now, um, I read this thing and it was just like, well, people should protest and get a start of, of all of this. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I think that, that there are other, like legally speaking, right. Um, because well, what, is there anything that can be done, you know, within the progressive legal infrastructure, within the, within the progressive judiciary, within, you know, these sort of organizations, nonprofits, uh, legal nonprofits and, um, like, well, what are they thinking about doing right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the, uh, I, ha- I have an answer to that question with the caveat that I don't think it means anything without the mobilization that you wrote about. Um, and actually, it's an opportunity to rethink and perhaps revive some older forms of 
uh, organizing that are directly related to courts. I mean, there's mm. the whole story. There's a fantastic, actually, book about this by Laura Weinrib called The Taming of Free Speech. And it's about how the um, the early ACLU and civil libertarians in general were in close relationship with the labor movement, bringing, bringing lawsuits um, that they knew were going to lose in order to demonstrate how conservative the courts were so that they could get more mobilization on the ground for the for the movement. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. just a, that's a winning, that's a one way to have a winning strategy knowing that the courts are against you. So, so what can you do? You can heighten the contradictions by showing that they're really not going <laughs> to, like, they're really going to stop you. Um, okay, but what can you, what, what are the, te- what are the fun technocratic solutions that, you know, that I went to school for? Fix this. Uh, well, you know, court reform. I mean, there's there's court reform. And and we've been assuming, because I think it's right, that the court is politicized. Um, but within the legal profession, the idea that the court is politicized is, is uh, the equivalent of saying basically that the court is illegitimate. And I just don't think that that's true. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you could uh, reform the court in deference to the fact that it's obviously in- in- inflected with partisan politics without destroying the rule of law. And, you know, and you don't have to look that far. You could look at something as sexy as an administrative agency, which is often, you know, ruled by a commission. A lot of a lot of agencies, uh, federal agencies are ruled by commissions that by statute have to have like half Democrats and half Republicans. And, you know, no one thinks that, like, they're bad at giving, necessarily bad at giving reasons for their decisions or that they don't adhere to the rule of law as a result of that comp- that composition. Mm-hmm. So one thing you could do is change the, comp- you know, there's, there's, there's sort of two major forms of court reform on the table, one of which is this, these kinds of personnel reforms. So let's pack the court, we'll add more people, let's have term limits. Um, all of which is meant to kind of routinize the politicization of the court. So um, let's accept that that's what's going on and um, and make changes such that it doesn't feel like an, uh, an emergency when we notice it. Um, which is actually my my best reading of what to think about this leak. Like, there's so many different mm-hmm. theories about where, you know who who it came from, but no one is disagreeing with the basic idea that it was obviously leaked for political purpose. Yeah. Right. The question is which political <laughs> <Totally>. purpose. <laughs> so okay, so 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 those are those are some of some of the reforms, and then the more the more. Uh, admittedly radical set of proposals for court reform are about reducing the court's jurisdiction. So all the personnel mm-hmm. stuff is like, once you're wearing the robes, you're kind of doing the same thing as the, the justices are currently doing. But what you could do, or what Congress could do, is uh, re- take away the power of the court to review certain kinds of things. Mm. Um, so, you know, there, uh, because of the way that uh, Justice Gorsuch and then Justice Kavanaugh got their seats, there, there's been a little bit more, you know, energy around court reform. And I don't know if you saw that, that Biden appointed a commission of like, I think roughly 100,000 lawyers to review <laughs> court reform options. I mean, it was like this gigantic thing. They met like three times. They were not supposed to come up with a, prop, you know, a proposal, so they didn't. Um, but but some really interesting things came out of it. I, um, and, and, one, and the commission report, which I'm sure you've all read closely because it hasn't ever read, uh, um, the commission report puts out, it's, it's actually useful for looking at the menu of options, but it also includes the testimony of various law professors. And, and, and one of them that kind of broke through um, is this guy, um, uh, Nico Bowie at, at Harvard, um, who's, who's really wonderful. And he ba- he's a historian. And he made the case that if you, yeah, if you look at um, the history of the court, the vast majority of times that the Supreme Court has struck down federal legislation, it's been to harm the civil rights of African-Americans. I mean, mm-hmm. and he just over and over again showed that. Um, and so and so, one proposal would be to, by statute, uh, limit this court's ability to, to um, 
overturn statutes either by just taking that power away totally or having Congress have some kind of veto. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh. these are, you know... That's interesting. But they so, don't presuppose like a liberal legislature, which we... Ah, right, definitely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the movement yeah. infrastructure, yeah. as Kate was saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. yeah there's, so, a, so, there's like a pretty grim flip side to that. Yeah, I don't know. I will say, though, that like the one thing that is like that has been heartening since Kavanaugh is basically that I think that never in our lifetimes, at least, has the court been on such tenuous terms with the public, right? Like the, or, Mm. and I don't think it's a very, I don't think that we've made huge inroads on this in any way, but it is like the most, you know, I don't know if you imagine like, you know, you're playing like a final boss in a video game and you see like the health bar and won't budge, you know? <laughs> but then you, like, figure out some move where you're like, oh, I'm actually taking some damage off, <laughs> you know, but I'm still going to, you know, I'm still going to die here. <laughs> but, you know, like, I could see a tiny bit of progress. Like, that's, I feel like that's where we are right now in some ways, where it's just like, okay, we're starting to figure out what the possibilities even are, whereas I think that for until... um Really, and I mean, for many, many years, let's say 30 years, that like the only people who were thinking about the court were and the ways to actually change it were conservatives, you know, were and not yeah. conservatives, like far right conservatives, like, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, maybe it'll take 50 years or something like that for you know people yeah. to start actually getting through, but I don't know, like that. The I just I still I can never really get over the dedication of far right activists. You know, in any sort of way. I mean, like this is really is a fifty-year fight that they put, mm-hmm. that they put together for this, and it's like just kind of stunning in some ways. Where it's just like, oh, I, they can't believe yeah. this worked. I have a question, Kate, for you about like how that a historical question. I think that relates to the question of strategy. So, in the period that you're studying, um, if we can read this conservative, the conservative machinations around Roe as like backlash, um, how how did that intersect with right-wing groups backlash to civil rights, like like race-based civil rights and, you know, kind of what, or, you know, some of the economic stuff, like or, during the war on poverty. Um, like how, because it seems like, yes, as Jay was saying, I think like the stereotypical thing around the way feminist organization and the nonprofits has evolved makes it seem very kind of like white and upper class. And of course, that's the critique of all kind of second wave feminist stuff. Um, but, you know, the real impact, of course, of overturning Roe is going to be felt among poor people and, you know, poor black people and poor people, immigrant people. And so, um, yeah, just curious, like if we can learn anything from that historical period of the right kind of you know, grouping like feminist stuff with race stuff or class stuff together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, yeah, and it's not just in the doctrines. Like the organ, the organ, the organizing yeah, comes no. out of. I mean, the like the pre, the 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 foundational um, concept of like my dissertation is you know, <laughs> ooh, um, very it, exciting. It, it, oh, is that uh, is that all, all, all of this stems from the or, or comes from the institutional setup of having lost the civil rights fight? Mm-hmm. So the conservative right. movement is against the civil rights movement, obviously, um, and they lose and they lose both in the legislature. So we pass federal civil rights laws and then they lose in the Supreme Court. And, you know, for my purposes, what that looks like is going to court and saying it's against my Christian religion to serve black people in my restaurant. And the court saying in a one sentence, like, that's such a silly argument. We're not even going to get pay any attention to it. And so and so what you have are, are two movements in kind of a double helix where the progressives are trying to extend the 
are, you know, uh, admittedly quite tenuous uh, uh, hold on civil rights uh, on the basis of race for other kinds of minority groups. Um, so how do we extend the civil rights legacy for gender identity and sexual orientation and disability and all kinds and, and women? Mm-hmm. Um, and the conservative movement um, trying to develop different tactics to at least stave off the, the advance um, for, for you know to to, to 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 not be able to extend that tenuous settlement to mm-hmm. other groups, um, but there's great historical work about. I mean, everything from there's a um, wonderful article about the anti-abortion movement in Michigan and how it came out of the anti-busing movement. Mm-hmm. The same story mm-hmm. is actually true of, of you know the 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 moment that that anti-gay rights becomes a national issue is in 1977 with Anita Bryant in, in Miami, wow. mm-hmm. and it turns out that like a huge amount of the uh, a number of the activists who joined her cause. Um, from the beginning, were anti-school desegregation. Um, so, yeah. so these, so yeah. th- these are deeply, deeply linked. I will say the conservative, the conservative uh, litigators who I follow have been really, really smart about trying to distinguish themselves from accusations of racism. Mm. So, can I give you one nerdy example yeah. from yeah. that? Please. Okay, okay. So, None so of the in the complaint, nerdy have been yeah, nerdy. Yeah, this by is the way. so fascinating. Like, I mean, I've been bracing okay. myself. I'm like, oh boy. And like, none of them have been nerds. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's like I haven't pulled out my like sheet of primary sources yet. <laughs> yeah, you need like a Ross Perot type of little like <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, my science fair board. Um, no, so 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 there's a a group called the Alliance Defending Freedom. It's kind of the anti ACLU. It's a very very well resourced, um, primarily anti gay litigation shop. Um, they're the ones who brought masterpiece. They, you know, um, and they're also, you know, very anti-abortion, but they've been less um, visible in that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, when they bring uh, complaints in court to um, object to serving gay people or serving uh, trans people, their complaint has some boiler pl- boilerplate about what are the religious beliefs that we're defending and asking for religious exemptions to these generally applicable civil rights laws. And there's usually three, and the three deeply felt religious beliefs are. Um, marriages between a man and a woman, uh, trans people don't exist, and racism is very bad. Right. <laughs> and so, Isn't and so, right bad? there, it is, 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 is very racism bad. is oh, very bad. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. That'd be a yes. very political. Oh, so, hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, microaggressions. So the race <laughs> right. when they put that in the stuff, it has nothing to do with those cases. Right, right, They're just right. like, oh, right. racism is also bad. So that's also racism is bad like, because uh, we're not racist. Yeah, we don't want right. to serve this gay people. Right, right. 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 Trans people I'm, aren't real, but don't paint us with the same brush just because. There's uh-huh. a like deep historical continuity in the movements. Right. Well, there's also this the talking people. point yeah. that yeah. I've seen replicated all over every social media platform, not just Twitter, but and also really being sort of said out loud by politicians, which is that like they say that Margaret Sanger was like the ultimate racist, right? Like, and Margaret yeah. Sanger is pretty racist, you know? Like, or like yeah. I mean, eugenicist, like, straight right? up eugenicist. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so they, that's they, they have this like. And now, look, you can sort of roll your eyes at that, you know, and but it's an argument they're making, right? And they're clearly mm-hmm. making an argument to distance themselves from accusations and of the- being racist. And then the other one, which I think is actually less effective, but um, but I've seen everywhere, again, said by politicians, not just on social media, is just that, oh, well, is it racist to say that you want to save the lives of black right. babies yeah. Yeah, that are going to be afforded? Like- now, that and one is- this, right? 
Uh, yeah, that one seems much more. Yes, yes, exactly. It's like, in the you know, decision. Like, it's right. Yeah. Right. So, Bananas. Um, yeah. I, I do have a question about this, though, which is that, you know, like one of the things that I've been um, somewhat aware of recently is that there is this way in which people draw this line and they say they correctly say that, like, this thing in history, right, has this tie. And if you go mm-hmm. back far enough, it's almost invariably going to be because people are racist, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's this country, like that's what it is. <laughs> and so, and yet there seems to be this jump from there being like, okay, it's still about this, right? And that's where I don't quite get it because it's just, I fully agree that like, you know, and I read, you know, like there's this uh, article by um, Randall Balmer that everybody is sharing from Politico back in like 2014. And it's, it's very comprehensive, makes a great case that the religious right starts be, uh, because out of like a sense, uh, it, it is a pivot away from um, school desegregation efforts, right? Now, what does that mean today, though? You know, like, it's like it's been 60 years. And is it possible that the religious right has, you know, rethought their stances on that it might have come out of this, right? But that, you know, there is a way in which saying, oh, because it has this historical basis that it needs to be this forever that I kind of resist because then all sorts of stuff for us on the left would then, you know, there's a lot of institutions on the left that are just like, you look at some of the history, you're like, whoa, you know, like, um, that's not cool. Right. And so like, this is not to try and, this is not trying to save the religious right or anything like that. Right. It is literally just asking, like, I don't, in my opinion, when I look at it, I'm like, I don't think that they've been doing this 60 year end game to end Brown versus the board of education. And they, they're laundering it all through this, you know? Um, but like, how, how, how do you think about that? Cause you know, it's something you've studied obviously. Well, well, I mean, I think it's a deep question. Well, okay. First of all, I have a professional obligation to say that the Balmer thesis is highly contested and I got in trouble recently oh. also on Twitter for basically for saying like, I read you know all of his right, books right, and right, he has right. this great argument. And it turns out it's, it's more complicated and there's more kind of genuinely anti-abortion and other kind of anti-feminist organizing right. happening yeah. concurrently. So it's not just the, or- it's not just like there was, there they were racist and then they lost race, the racist battle. So they went to the next issue. Right, 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 right. It's a little bit what his, what his story sounds like. Um, but, but yeah, of course, like what's the poison fruit art? I mean, what do you do with that? I, I, I think, well, first of all, I mean, just to, to you said that um, the progressives are also, you know, going to be, be victims of that kind of argument. And we already are. That's one of the main reasons conservatives are against substantive due process. It's because the origins of substantive due process doctrine were using the, the Supreme Court to knock down labor protective legislation um, on the basis of a uh, and you know, invented right to right to free contract. So, so substantive process starts off as something that's um, mm-hmm. very anti-left, and now it's the basis for a lot of things we care about. Okay, but so to answer your question, or to start to, I mean, to take a career to do justice to this this problem is, I, I tend to think about it as um, it's it's it's. It's basically too lazy to to say like having had a, a particular kind of origin, therefore it you know in, indicts the contemporary iteration. Um, that's not enough. Like that's an interesting historical fact, but but you have to show some kind of either institutional setup or uh, or continued continued effect or 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 returned a negative effect, which we absolutely, as Tammy already said, can see with abortion. I mean, right. it's not hard to see that there are incredibly uh, racially disparate effects of of. Um, uh, overturning the Roe decision. Um, so, yeah, 
I don't know. That's that's a very very yeah. be- half a beginning of a of a response to, right, to the question right, because yeah. it's so deep. You can't throw out everything because it had a bad origin, but also you have to be more sophisticated than saying mm-hmm. um, that alone is enough to to throw it out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Andy. Actually, I'm curious about your historian perspective on it, right? Like, yeah, because like for me, like me as like being just some take hot take artist, you know, I'm just like I think about it and I'm just like I don't know, like, really, like. I think these people really do want to go after gay rights and gay marriage, and I think they want to go after abortion. Right. I don't think that they want to desegregate. I don't think they want to resegregate schools, you know? Like, I don't think that that's... I think if anything, they have, like, a very weird... Like, they want school choice so they can have religious schools, you know? But I don't... I think they have a very strange sense... Like, they probably have a very odd idea of diversity where everybody is... Christian, you know, and right. like one of God's children, et cetera. But like the idea that like they want separate but equal schools, like I just can't quite get there. But how, what do you think about this question? Andy? Yeah, I mean, as someone who doesn't share like any of these beliefs, you look at them and they just kind of seem weird to you. Like on one basic level, yes, they believe this. But on a deeper level, you're like, but like, why do they believe this? Why are these the issues um, that unite them? You, when you look at the map of the states with who are ready with these trigger laws right it's pretty obvious this happens all the time in u.s history these are this is the confederacy right this is like the u.s south um and well, so it's also it's, the upper midwest there, yeah, there's some really of some north of dakota yeah it's like kind of new there right like this is like, like yeah the, yeah, yeah. But, which is but, a weird like not that new zombie oh, right. not that okay. new okay i thought it was all like the red-pilled san franciscans who had moved out i think it's like because they like I don't know it's I, I've, I've been thinking about you know um, this idea so so like it makes a lot of sense that this has roots in or overlaps with um, backlash to the loss of civil rights or kind of pr- trying to preserve racial segregation um, which itself is kind of trying to preserve like you know slavery right and a lot of that's like, yes, racism is part of it. Yes, control over women is part of it. And like the thing that kind of binds a lot of these things together is probably just like kind of class power and like the, right, and the sort of like refusal to allow people, uh, basically non-elites, working class or poor people to, to control, to have rights. Um, and I don't know if it's like a functionalist or like a cynical thing where like we're using these pet issues to really exert class power over these people. I think it's just like, it's all like people don't think that deep about this. It's just like this appears to them as this big threatening thing when uh, poor people, poor people are doing things that in their belief, like betray their traditional duties to like raise a child, raise a family and uh, you know, populate the country. And if you look at the, you know, as the AHA, the you know the the Historical Association had this amicus brief about like the origins of abortion, and which I was like all news to me. And like a lot of it was fear of immigrants, um, fear of you know, uh, fear of like the declining uh, traditional fidelity of women to raise children. And uh, so I think there's all, there's always been this. It seems to me, right, like as someone who doesn't study this closely, it seems to me like a lot of this is about um, elite control over everyone else. Um, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit with the, like, don't say gay stuff in Florida, right? Like, a lot of the kind of return to traditionalism is weird because it's anachronistic, right? Like, this, this is a backlash, as you say, or it's like, this, this isn't like a continuous line from the 14th century. It's actually become stronger over the last few decades. And there is a way to read this as, um, as with a neoconservative traditional family values comes the sort of economically conservative idea that government should play less of a role supporting people and 
we have to like make sure people like like families and and women play their traditional role of taking care of their family. So the sort of like trying to freeze, fix into place the nuclear family um, and seeing any threat to the nuclear family as this kind of existential threat to the social order. Um, so I don't know. It seems like I'm trying to like, trying to figure out like, why do why do these pet issues appeal so deeply to people? I wonder if like underlying it is this sort of um, sense that like the, the, Traditional social order is falling away, and we have to like preserve it or keep it going. And um, and underlying that, consciously or subconsciously, is this idea that um, you know, like they like they're poor, they deserve this, they have to like live with the consequences, and right. kind of the old fashioned like poor law kind of ideas. I, I, this is where I, like I think we should, like I, Tammy, I'm interested in your thoughts about this because like here's the thing that I don't I don't understand this part of the modern discourse, which is that like. Everything needs to be dug down to debt levels deeper into like something that is, you know, about something else, right? And I think that with abortion, it's like you don't need to do that. Like the people who want to get rid of abortion are very sincere in their belief that it's murder, you know? Like they there's no like, right. it's not like a sort of be like, oh, let's use this to do X, Y, like let's use this and then, you know, right. five steps later we're gonna do this. Um and the people who want to defend abortion rights are very sincere in like their desire to keep this important practice still viable in the United States. Right. And so like, it is like, that's where the Balmer thing um, was like, I was just like, all right, like, you know, like um, what are we saying here? You know, like, what are we, what do I take away from this? Like, I I don't like at some levels it is like almost like, remember, Andy, remember when we're in like debate and people would be like, the biggest burn would be like, that's interesting, but irrelevant, you know? Right. <laughs> Andy Ryan Academy, Academy said that in some practice round one at Dartmouth, and I was fun to punch him, you know? It's like, interesting, <laughs> but irrelevant, you know? And so the Balmer thing is almost, to me, like, it's almost interesting, but irrelevant, but I know that if I say that, then I'm just going to scream at, you know, because yeah. I don't get well, history, but, you know, that, my brain is Kate very literal. weigh in, because Kate right. has read all of Balmer. Right, and, right, right. Uh, but I have thoughts, too, but I think right. Kate has more developed thoughts. No, no, I, Tammy, you go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. <clears throat> Respond to well, Andy and NJ. Well, okay. Well, so so I think Andy's right in basically articulating the social reproduction frame of thinking about this stuff, which is like, why is it important? Why, what how, what connects these different issues? And yeah, without casting it as like a cynical ploy or um, or an overarching you know message that, from above, that there's a concerted effort as part of neoliberalism to devolve both economic and social decisions back, you know, away from the state. And so if you combine the work on international economic governance from like Quinn Sablodian, which is let's get these, let's get economic decisions away from this, the national state level and into super, super national um, organizations like the, like the World Trade Organization. And then you put that together with Melinda Cooper, who talks about the social conservative, uh, the social conservative stuff. And it's so in one direction, we're getting economic decisions away from the state uh, by moving it upwards. And then we're also going to devolve other kinds of economic decisions back down to the mm-hmm. family. And so you have to have a really right. strong uh, uh, social or, uh, set of social relations that de- delegates power on the basis of gender. Otherwise, mm-hmm. otherwise that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You can't have atomized individuals. Which right, right, you, right. You have to, you, you have, they have to have some kind of relationship to each other so that someone is raising the children and someone is earning the family wage. Right. Haha, <laughs> ha, wouldn't that be nice? But, right, you um, have to get rid of the family wage. Yeah. So. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. right. So it's very yeah, bizarre, yeah. right? Like, it's, yeah, they're, so they're, it's destroying, they're destroying the people's capacity to take care of themselves while also forcing them to take care of, you know, uh, like a family that they don't necessarily want, you know. 
So right. it's like this well, so contradictory. Well, but that's because there, there, there are different interests in the coalition. I mean, it's not that hard to understand. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, we're, we're kind of going back and forth about, well, is this are these deeply felt beliefs or is it kind of, it's both. I mean, yeah. there are people who obviously really deeply believe this this stuff and that's important to include them and figure out right. how to, whatever, because I have plenty of idiosyncratic beliefs. I want to be, you know, have a seat <laughs> at the table. But also there's great reporting about how the Koch brothers basically funded right. the anti-abortion totally. movement, even though they didn't care about this issue because it mm-hmm. lowers their taxes. So yeah, <laughs> it's both. But just really quickly, the sincere belief thing, I get, but I also kind of, I'm like anti-sincerity. I don't know. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, right, there are sincere like beliefs, this. but like in the 1800s, they didn't have these sincere beliefs either. So it's not know, as if like, like we're not, the church is in a beliefs. different place too. Like, uh, sure, like, but you can, still, you can still like historicize sincerity, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, right? sure, sure. But right. then, I, then I get, then then we're implicated too. I mean, how much of yeah, what I believe is socially constructed also. You were in like a nihilist space. I think that like the thing that I'm sort of, reacting against which i think you know i don't think is i don't know if i don't think i'm right but i do think that like at some point like there is this like actually no this is about x and it's not about the thing that is there and that that makes sense when it's like uh chris rufo screaming about crt in schools right but then there's like a thing where it's like actually like roe v wade just got overturned like let's Break right, out of right. this, like, you know, like, uh, routing everything to, like, the thing that we think is the core issue of society type of brain. Mm-hmm. Annie, I'm not saying you did that. Yeah, but, well, I'm I just think... saying that, like, I find that, I think that's the art, that that's the Balmer thing. Right. Or the people who are sharing Balmer, it's just like... I see. Oh, no, this is actually about X, and I'm just like, or, like, this is actually about... And I'm just like, can we just talk about the thing it is for a second? Right. Like, is right. that crazy? But, like, I don't know, maybe but, I'm wrong. So I, I know the example you're thinking of, so and we're not stop talking about that. Right. But I do think the other thing to consider is like, well, this might implicate how we frame Fired. frame a pro choice yeah. argument as not just about women's rights in a in a box, right? But about exactly right, like mm-hmm. yeah, oh yeah, class, yeah. Because so yeah, in a circuitous way, that's right. where it takes us. It that's actually takes it points to the centrality of. Yes, right. of this okay. in this Let's whole kind of worldview, right? Tammy, you also had thoughts about the. Right, no, right, I mean, right. I think I was basically going to say what Kate said, which is that yes, there is this kind of like truly like Catholic belief system that you know whatever that this is murder, etc. But yeah, the Kochs, Trump, who should be a real fan of abortion, you know, there's like right. these guys <laughs> who you know abortion has really helped them, and you know they have made this a huge plank of their platforms. Why? Like they're right. So um, I think we have to take that very seriously. Right. Right. I agree. But, with but that, yeah. You know. But yeah. I mean, yes. I think there's also, and I think like from a labor organizing perspective, these are also hard questions. Like, you know, I think like labor, the labor left, like is very interested, obviously, in preserving abortion rights and preserving some of the freedoms that we have around gender and reproduction. And they also have a lot of like religious members and stuff that they have to organize and figure out, like, can there be a class platform that sort of takes care of this question without Mm -hmm. making it so pointedly about religious definitions of life, you know? So in that sense, I think the organizing question of like those people is, is, is tricky. Um, But that's easier than the Coke or Trump question, because that is this sort of astroturfed like very deep strategy that that is well established yeah Yeah, i wonder how much of it is uh you know the one and i will say that the one sort of like you know left idea that might make sense is that i don't think it's the reason why but it's like it's clearly tammy as you were saying it will have some effects on organizing a working class that is you know increasingly in large percentage 
you know, Catholic at this point from Latin American countries, you know, um, um, that there will be some questions about whether Democrat politicians will, now that this is an issue again, obviously, right, for years it wasn't really discussed, right? I don't know. I think that it might have some issues on labor organizing there, but, you know, probably not. I, I mean, I, there, there's a, I know the California context better than other places, right. but there's there's a, a huge huge number of um, of Central American immigrants who are also uh, conservative evangelical mm-hmm. Christians for whom these social issues are really obviously progressive. I mean, th- so so they're they're changing the shape the the face mm-hmm. of evangelicism mm-hmm. in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. And also, let's just remember, like the the vast majority of of people in the country favor abortion being legal. Right. So yeah, totally. yes, it, so yes, it's of course it's an organizing problem for a you know specific subset. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you know, it, and that doesn't cut across cl- like class and and in any way that suggests to me that it's going to be impossible to, you know, <laughs> hopefully not oh, take fifty years to like reinstate sure. a really popular yeah. position. So let's not forget, like we actually the majority of people already think this. Yeah, that's yeah. a good reminder. Seriously, that's a good setup. So let's let's get out on this, and not that we have to rush here, but you know, the last thing I think we should talk about is uh, okay. We have this very strange situation, at least from what I saw, see it as, right? Like, where it's just like, this is not an unpopular position. This is a popular position, right? Um, it's not like we're not out here arguing for, uh, um, oh, I don't know, like um, like nationalizing the NBA or something like that. I don't know why that was my <laughs> example. It's so stupid, you know? But, like, this is a popular position held by a majority, actually a huge majority of the country, right? Like if this was a presidential election, it would win quite easily. Now, we also have a sort of the Democrats saying, Joe Biden, a lot of people saying like, this is going to energize the midterms and we're going to do better in the midterms, right? So everyone go out and vote, which to me, you know, honestly is a bit offensive because I'm just like, well, I don't like, you know, like if the only response that you have to this is to be like, this is good for me, just like, then, like, I don't know. It's almost like somebody being like, oh, but I made money on this tragedy, so it's cool, you know? <laughs> just like, can you shut up for like a week and then tell us to vote, you know? Like, and then, uh, and yet, like, that seems to be a viable strategy, right? Like, oh, well, you know, like, try and energize people to vote um, and try and get enough of the Senate to, that perhaps there can be a law and, you know, hopefully not lose the Senate and the House, which seems like it's going to happen, right? Like, that would yeah. be a good start. <laughs> like, well, how about we not lose, you know? Um, <laughs> and then there's, uh, you know, the idea of taking to the streets, right? Like, um, like what, what do you think that... Uh, what do you think the strategy here should be? Because it is a strange place where it's just like, well, there's no clear answer here, you know? Like, it's hard to argue against the Supreme Court, right? <laughs> and yet, like, it seems like people have to do something, right? So what's yeah. something that people should do? <laughs> Tammy, you first. Kate. No, I don't know. Tammy, you, you can't be, Tammy, you're a host of the podcast. You have to go first. You can't just <laughs> be right. the person that comes in and is like, everybody has talked, and then you're like, I'll just slide my point in right here. So, you know, <laughs> it sounds so much like smarter. The, yeah, it's the easiest way. position. You have to lead. <laughs> no, I know. I think this is a really hard question. So this week I was looking, I was thinking – and we talked about this a little bit like in our chat room about, is this going to be like a Black Lives Matter moment? You know, are we going to see like immediate mobilization on the streets? And like the answer has been no. And I and I've been trying to figure out like why that is. And you know, I think some of the kind of 
I don't know, professionalization of like feminism and kind of the way that it looks like in that NGO world, whatever, these are kind of old and boring answers is like part of the problem. But I also just like, I don't know who our coalition is on this, which is, which kind of makes no sense given what we're just talking about, how a big majority of the country actually supports row based rights, you know? Yeah. Um, And yet, like, I don't know who to call, you know, Uh like I was talking to Kate this week. I was talking to people at Lex this week. We're trying to, and I and I don't have an answer. And I think it, it's been really heartbreaking, actually, this yeah. week to try to, like, puzzle over that and kind of figure out, like, okay, what does that mean? Where do but you why, go from why here? Why do you think that is? Why do you not know who to call? Like, you know, like, I mean, you don't isn't have to that, call, like, Gloria Allred isn't or something, that something like that, right? But, I mean, like, what's, what's the... So I think the, from, like, my tiny corner of this right. world, like, my answer is that I think a lot of, like, feminist organizations I know that will be out about this... Um, maybe don't kind of share my ideology on other things. And so that, that hasn't been like the place that I like base myself in organizing. What do you mean? Does that make sense? What's the tension? So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I like, it's probably pretty obvious, but like most of my organizing is like from kind of the left labor world. And that's not necessarily a world where like feminist discourse or like a discourse around bodily rights is like a thing that is animating us. Right. Although there are these historical connections that we've explored. I have purposefully or at least, or maybe incidentally, but I think purposefully not kind of rooted my organizing in like feminist organizations for the most part, because I haven't, I guess that hasn't been like where my heart is or where like in terms of like addressing yeah. class issues and economic issues, which I think has always been really politicizing yeah. for me. And that, you know, so there's, there are these sort of gulfs based on like where the organizing, how those pots of organizing have, I guess, evolved um, so that's probably like my own fault, but that's kind of how I felt this week, a little bit like marooned, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, do I you mean, think that the feminist like, organization, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, I was just going to say, I mean, to your credit, a p- part of it is that the organizations you're talking about just, and this is a neutral description. They're not movement organ, and sorry, they're not, um, membership organizations. True. Yeah. So, so there's, a lot of groups doing really fantastic things, but for the most part, their theory of change is not that we should get a lot of people organized around these issues on the ground. Yes, mm-hmm. you're right. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like what movement organization or sorry, membership organization would, would you, would one even join at this point? Totally. Right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, policy shops and lobbying, and then there's yeah. a lot of service provision. And the, I mean, all really important. But that that middle where you know where to show up and you go to Foley Square and it's not about a bunch of yeah sectarian like really far left sectarian <laughs> groups. Right. It's interesting though because yeah. that was also true of two summers ago, right? Um, yeah. They're not member organizations, and I thought about it because I was like, well, I mean, Tammy, to answer your question, I have two. I think I have two caveats that we should put out there. Mm-hmm. The first is that I think that. Um, it takes time for these things to build, right? And the Floyd protests were really an outcome of what was, at that point, eight years of it's true. of buildup, yeah. you know? Like, if George Floyd happened and it was the first thing, then it wouldn't have been like that, right? Yeah. Even yes, Michael Brown was right. born out of Trayvon Martin, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, if you... People say, oh, well, Black Lives Matter started and Trayvon Martin. People don't think that. People think it started with Michael Brown, but like uh, Ferguson, mm-hmm. first of all, like it's not like Ferguson was like some massive outpouring. Ferguson was like 2,000 people who lived in the area going to the streets and then the c- 
cops are the ones that turn it into a story, you know, mm-hmm. like the tanks, like the MRAPs, everything like that. That's what turned it into a story, you know. And so I, I would say that that's first. Now, the difference is that, like, you know, this is a this is something that affects way more people, you know. And so you would expect just by like a numbers game yeah. right, that things would have. <laughs> started but i think that's part of it i just think that a lot of people are in your spot right like now so for example like like let's say you work at like the like you work for like lorraine powell jobs or something like that right or let's say that you work for um melinda gates or you work for Mackenzie bezos right like these are all people who have put in a ton of money for women's uh you know for like women in the workplace like a nonprofit type of stuff right like I guarantee all those people are going to do something, right? Like that is a show in the streets. Like I, I find it impossible to believe that they wouldn't support something or at least start to organize something. The only thing that I worry about is that like maybe there is like among the groups of people who do have the experience who would be tagged to organize something like this on behalf of those types of organizations mm-hmm. is that maybe they actually do have some sort of like weird like uh, aversion or fear because of what happened with the Women's March. And that's the only like specific thing I can think about, but I actually don't think that that's necessarily true. You know, um, I, I think mm. that they'll find, I, th- I think it'll be like maybe next next three weeks or so. But um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but like I just can't imagine. I also just think that this is, the fact that this is a draft might be playing into yeah. it in a little bit. You <laughs> yeah. know, like it's like, well, okay. Can we wait for the real thing to come out? Nice. You know? <laughs> but I think those are all the sort of pressures on it. But I don't think it's that people don't want to. Mar- I mean, like, good Lord, two years ago. I, I feel like this is like the unsaid thing about so many political conversations, which is just like two years ago, like for six freaking straight weeks, people are out like in the streets of, of the of like America, like. A lot of them like rioting, you know, and so mm-hmm. like like to say that like there's no political will to do that type of stuff is crazy. Now, you know, you can have all sorts of other arguments about um, whether or not any of that led to anything, whatever. Like those are other conversations, but the fact that people are, are willing to go out and stand in the street has been proven, I think. Sure. You know? and yeah. So I mean, it is I an just... interesting question as to why it hasn't happened already for around this issue, but I think that's true. Those are my theories, at least. But maybe I, I could be totally wrong about this, but um, I don't know. Yeah. Kate, I saw you nodding in response to the Jay's comment about it being a draft opinion. Yeah. I mean, again, I could be totally naive, but I think part, part of the messaging coming out of the um, pro-choice movement has been it, it's not the law of the land yet. Keep going to your appointments. Mm-hmm. And so and so I think there, there might be um, just some mobilization yeah. that's waiting for it to actually take effect. Mm-hmm. But also, like, is I think I think it would be like a little demotivating to think this is about the Supreme Court because it's kind of hard. Because like with Black Lives Matter, is about you know your local government should pass laws, yeah. cops should be held accountable. It's like you, this could happen within a year. You know, the Supreme Court thing seems much further off unless you want to think about the legislative route through like national Congress or, or I guess maybe a state law. You know, changing state legislatures, but yeah, state um, laws. I, I I do wonder like how the fact that it seems so formidable you know so permanent that yeah, might kind of demotivate point, people yeah, yeah. maybe <laughs> Thank you. like maybe the way this will sort of form is that people will have local um examples of people who are being arrested or being put in jail or being charged with murder and that there will be sort of localized 
uh, protests around those people and that some of those will explode into national protests. Like maybe that's how it will happen. Like it needs a, it needs a victim, you know? Um, The other thing I was thinking was like the examples we have of basically Black Lives Matter and then like, you know, at different points, the Bernie campaign, like people are, have mobilized. Yes, it takes time, but these are basically like class based movements. Um, Even Black Lives Matter is kind of articulated as black people are like a kind of a social class. And, that's what we're talking about like this obviously could be framed through class uh language but i mean if am i wrong it it really hasn't been um in the mainstream right and and it should be more is that is that a fair thing to say i don't know i think it's okay to say that rich women also should have reportions though i mean no of course right but but the effects of this right uh are like disproportionately economic right upon like the working class and immigrants I mean, statistics, yeah. I don't know, statistics show yeah. this stuff. Yeah, like, it was and interesting and during Black Lives Matter because I think I was struck by the fact that a lot of pe- people didn't necessarily articulate it through class, and yet they still felt like it was something they wanted to come out and support. Well, Black people and, as a collective class. Um, well, sure, but women also. I mean, you know, so I, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I, but I, yeah, I mean, I think Kate's comment on membership organizations, like that's definitely a big thing here. Like, who are you responding to? And a lot of the Black Lives Matter stuff wasn't even necessarily called by an organization. It was sort of put right. out by right. small groups. And so that could potentially happen here. But the thing is, I think people have been plugged into kind of like civil rights and anti-police right. organizing in, in ways that are more kind of, I don't know, is somehow like more meaningful and developed and sustained than this. I just, I don't know. It's really, this, it's a huge problem that a lot of, I think feminists are yeah. talking about right now. Like maybe why, materialism. Why do we do thinking. this? Like, like Black Lives Matter might not be about class, but it's about material. It's about like inequality. Um, the material but, differences. I think it was about people being shot by the police. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't about like one group is poorer than the other group. It was like one group is being shot by the police. I mean, okay. Right. Like anyway, I think I think one of the best historical models for how to structure organizing is ACT UP, and ACT UP was similarly a leaderless but organized group, and the way that they managed that not without recriminations between different subgroups, but the way that they managed to be effective was to have basically a mantra which was anything you do to end the AIDS crisis is act up. And I could, I mean, I think that that could apply to any number of progressive goals, certainly, uh, you know, um, keeping abortion legal such that like who, who's, who's the leader or who should be out the out front. Like, of course it's demobilizing to go to a protest that's like overly corporate uh, branded or something, but like, are we going to say, oh, like we're too cool for Planned Parenthood to participate? Like, no, of course not. So there's, it's going to have to be everybody. So it means it means that there's going to be people who are focused on uh, illegal provision of services, and that's going to be important. There's there's going to be a there's a documentary coming out on HBO about the Janes in Chicago who would have been in prison if it weren't for the Roe decision coming down in the middle of their prosecution for providing abortions. Um, and then it's going to, and then it's going to be hopefully the kind of grassroots organizing that, that happened with Black Lives Matter too, where people show up in whatever the center of their town is, or it happened with Occupy. And you show up and you say like, this matters to me. I'm, you know, I'm against what the, rep- the legislature in my town has done. I'm against what the, how the police are enforcing it, whatever. And then it's hopefully, I mean, the, 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 uh, the argument that like voting is going to get you out of this is obviously ridiculous, but you do ha- we do have to try to hold accountable the people who are ostensibly our, our representatives. So that means one of the things, and one of the things you learn from ACT UP about that is you don't just show up in the center of town; you show up in front of their offices. I mean, you do the you do the collective action with some kind of pointed purpose, 
And if it's not a pointed purpose to, with a specific ask of someone who has more power than you, then it's with the purpose of getting media attention to highlight the 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 problem that you're trying to address. So, of course, React Up, that was showing up in churches. I mean, you could see something not dissimilar. Like, uh, so anyway, uh, I guess I guess the leaderlessness is less of a problem to me as having uh, having a, a mantra like that that includes in it both a theory of change and a goal. Thank you, Kate.